You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Coming up this hour. U.S. stocks enter the session coming off their biggest loss in two months. Traders are bracing for more hawkish talk at the Fed's Jackson Hole gathering. It's primary day with key races in New York and Florida heading the list. And life expectancy in New York plummets in the wake of COVID. The tri-state area is cleaning up from heavy rains and flooding. Plus, New York Mayor Adams responds after more busloads of migrants arrive from Texas. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashower in sports. The Yankees beat Max Scherzer and the Mets of the Subway Series a come-from-behind preseason win for the Jets. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are higher this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures is up 7.5 points. Dow futures up 57. And NASDAQ futures up 30. The 10-year Treasury up 132nd. Yield 3.00%. And the yield on the two-year, 3.32%. And NYMEX crude oil is up 1.4%. Nathan. Well, Karen, stocks are coming off their worst one-day drop in two months. The S&P 500 index fell 2.1%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 sank 2.7%. And the blue-chip Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 643 points, or 1.9%. Seabreeze Partners President Doug Cass sees more tough times ahead for equities. I think there's a non-trivial chance that the S&P early last year made a top for the balance of the year. Um, To me, after the recent, what I described as a position based rally, risk has returned to risk assets as the fundamental backdrop is eroding. Seabreeze Partners President Doug Cass made the comments on Bloomberg Surveillance. Catch the program on Bloomberg Radio and Television beginning at 7 a.m. Wall Street Time.
Well, Nathan, the Wall Street sell-off spilled into Asia with stocks in Japan and Hong Kong falling around 1%. We get the recap from Bloomberg's Juliet Sally in Singapore. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. The energy sector was the only one in the green across the MSCI Asia-Pacific index as crude scaled $91 a barrel, lifted by the possibility of OPEC plus output cuts. Japanese travel stocks also rose amid a Nikkei News report Japan is considering ending the requirement for negative COVID-19 tests for international arrivals. Stocks in Hong Kong and China fell despite further steps to stabilise the property market and the won fluctuated but held near a 13-year low amid verbal intervention from authorities. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Juliet, thanks. Well, the drop in stocks around the world comes as investors await signals on the path of interest rate hikes at the Federal Reserve's annual Jackson Hole Economic Symposium later this week. Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee is covering the highly anticipated event. What we'll see is a lot of volatility this week as try, people try to read into various economic indicators, whether there's good news or bad news coming. But Powell's position hasn't changed a whole lot, and nor has the Fed's. They believe they're going to have to keep raising rates to a certain point and stay there for a while where the market thinks that they'll raise rates a little more and start cutting again. Bloomberg's Michael McKee, one noted Fed watcher, says the central bank should not cut rates again. In fact, Stanford University economics professor John Taylor thinks rates should double from here. I say 5% is where we should aim. It's that, that, and that is not high by historical standard, that's for sure. You remember what it was in the 70s. But it's, it could be higher. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say absolutely five. If inflation doesn't come down, then it may have to be higher. But I think inflation will come down and we can stick it at a level like that. But let's get there first. Stanford economics professor John Taylor says the Fed should be more communicative about where policy has to go. Well, meanwhile, Karen, hedge funds are unleashing record bets. The Fed will stick to its hawkish script at Jackson Hole. The group's collectively placed a big short across futures for a key overnight rate that moves in line with the Fed's benchmark. That position will benefit if Chair Jay Powell effectively rules out a dovish pivot. Please stick with Bloomberg for complete live coverage of the Jackson Hole Symposium. Bloomberg surveillance will be there beginning on Thursday with Tom Keen, Lisa Abramowitz, and Jonathan Farrow. Well, Nathan, we now turn from the Fed and the markets to some important political news this morning. It's an election day with primaries in New York and Florida and a runoff vote in Oklahoma. Amy Morris has more on what to watch from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. In New York, redistricting left two longtime House Democratic colleagues, Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler, competing for the same seat. In the 19th District, Democrat Pat Ryan is running against Republican Mark Molinaro to fill the seat that Anthony Delgado vacated to become lieutenant governor. If Molinaro defeats Ryan, that could be a sign for Democrats in November. In Florida, as the polls stand now, Republican incumbent Senator Marco Rubio will likely face Democratic Representative Val Demings in November. Governor Ron DeSantis will face either former Governor Charlie Crist in November or Nikki Freed, who wants to become Florida's first woman governor. In Oklahoma, the marquee event will determine the candidates who vie for the unexpired Senate seat of Republican Jim Inhofe, who plans to resign in January. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. Amy, thanks. There are also new developments in the FBI search of former President Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, including reports of just how much classified material he may have been holding on to. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the latest. 
Mr. Trump says he wants a neutral third party to look through the documents in legalese, a special master. So this is the same judge considering whether to make public portions of the documents seized by the FBI to look at this. Now, the New York Times says the government has recovered more than 300 documents now with classified markings. It says 150 sensitive documents recovered earlier made the DOJ want to know what Trump had taken from the White House. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. And thanks. We are getting more evidence this morning of the toll the pandemic has had on our lives. And we get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. The CDC says life expectancy in New York State dropped by three years in 2020. It's the biggest decline among all states during the first year of the pandemic. New York State residents are expected to live to just under 78 years old. That's the 15th highest life expectancy in the U.S., but a steep drop from back in 2019 when New York State had the third highest ranking. The CDC said last year that overall U.S. life expectancy plunged by 1.8 years in 2020, the biggest drop since World War II. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thanks. Local headlines and a check of sports next. This is Bloomberg. And it's now 5.07 on Wall Street, 72 degrees in Central Park. Got an accident already, eastbound Belt Parkway at Bay Parkway. We'll get you the details in traffic shortly, but first, Michael Bars here with what else is going on in New York and around the world on this primary day. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. More than a 1,000 flights were canceled in the U.S. yesterday. Airports around New York City and in Texas were hit the hardest. Staffing shortages and severe weather were blamed again. Meanwhile, heavy rain fell in parts of the tri-state area, causing street flooding. In the Dallas suburb of Mesquite, vehicles had to navigate flooded roads. Authorities say a body was pulled from a vehicle after it was found in the receding waters. In East Texas, severe weather forced schools to close early, including a suspected tornado. Smith County Constable Josh Joplin. We've had several portable buildings that have been picked up and relocated. Constable Joplin. New York City officials estimate over the weekend about 2,800 asylum seekers from Central and South America have arrived by bus from Texas. Mayor Eric Adams is blaming Republican Governor Abbott, saying his refusal to let New York officials know about potential numbers of migrants on the buses is driving the city to a crisis level. The governor of Texas is not giving any information at all, no matter how much we try to coordinate. Crisis calls on coordination. And he has been really uh, just uh, a person who's mean-spirited in the area of helping people in a time, time of need. Mayor Adams says it is leaving local and state resources and nonprofits struggling. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says the state is rolling back new COVID regulations for this school year, including allowing positive students to stay in class provided they wear a mask. Hochul is also urging employees in the state to consider a return to the office as well. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of tourists. Restaurants are crowded. Uh, people are coming back, enjoying our social life. And uh, we'd love to see everybody back, going back in their offices, or at least on a hybrid situation. Governor Hochul is promising monkeypox vaccines for New Yorkers. Acting New York Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett is promising that they will ensure access for those at risk, including the LGBTQ community and communities of color. Uh, These data show uh, that we are right to be very concerned about equity in access to vaccination. 
Dr. Bassett says they're preparing to distribute the promised 110,000 doses from the Biden administration. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Michael, thank you. Coming up to 510 on Wall Street, time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stanshower. Good morning, Nathan. Bit of an upset to start the two-game Subway Series in the Bronx. The Mets went in certainly the hotter team with the better pitcher on the mound. Yet Max Scherzer outpitched by Domingo Herman, maybe the best game of his career. Shut out through six innings. Mets get on the board in the seventh. The drop pop-up was followed by a two-run homer by the Mets' Daniel Vogel back. That's all the Mets got. Yankees won 4-2. to two. Good relief pitching from Ron Marinaccio, Jonathan Lewisaga, Aaron Judge. Home run number 47, ending his longest homeless drought of the season. And Andrew Benintendi, who had the game-winning home run Sunday, had two runs scoring hits. His manager is Aaron Boone. Oh, he's such a good hitter, such a good bat-to-ball, controls the strike zone, um, and and it feels like he's really starting to settle in now. And, uh, you know, he's come up big for us last couple of days, obviously, but but feel like for the better part of the last week, he's, he's starting to build that momentum. Boone tonight starts Frankie Montas. He has struggled in his first three starts with the Yanks. The Mets decided to give Jacob DeGrom some extra rest, so it'll be Taiwan Walker going for them. At MetLife, big preseason comeback by the Jets. They trailed Atlanta 16 to nothing. They rallied to win 24 to 16. Touchdown pass by fourth-string QB Chris Stevler. He then engineered a long TD drive. The Jets added a fumble return for touchdown. The Giants got worse. The knee injury suffered Sunday by rookie linebacker Kayvon Thibodeau is a sprained MCL out three to four weeks, which would mean missing the first one or two regular season games. Carolina Panthers say Baker Mayfield will be the week one starting quarterback. Hardly surprised that he beat out Sam Darnold. Tom Brady back with the Tampa Bay Bucks, who are the report that he spent the 11 days away from training camp with his family in the Bahamas. You get some advantages when you're... Tom Brady, John Stashow, Bloomberg <laughs> Sports. Nathan. So true. Thank you, John. Futures moving higher on this Tuesday morning. We'll check in on this market next with Patrick Armstrong of Plurimi Wealth. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Mix of sun and clouds today. Some afternoon showers and thunderstorms possible going up to near 85 degrees. Sunshine tomorrow. Highs near 90 and on Thursday as well. Right now, 72 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are edging higher. Treasuries are, well, treasury prices are higher as well right now. The dollar is steady as markets remain on edge ahead of the Jackson Hole Central Banker Symposium later this week. Futures on the S&P and NASDAQ, they were fluctuating before turning higher after U.S. stocks plunged the most in two months yesterday. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are up seven points. Down futures up 56. NASDAQ futures up 23. The DAX in Germany is up a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury now up one thirty-second, yield three percent. The yield on the two-year three point three two percent. Non-DAX crude oil is up one point eight percent, up a dollar sixty at ninety-one dollars ninety-six cents a barrel. Comex gold up three tenths percent, or five dollars at seventeen fifty-three sixty an ounce. The euro is at point nine nine three three against the dollar. British pound one point one seven six three, and the yen one thirty-seven point two six. 
Looking at Bitcoin, it's up 1.2%. It's at $21,370. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Lawyers for former President Trump have asked a federal judge to prevent the FBI from continuing to review documents recovered from his Florida estate until a neutral special master can be appointed. It comes as the New York Times reports more than 300 classified documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. Florida holds its primary elections today. Two Democrats are squaring off, hoping to face incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis, State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, and U.S. Representative Charlie Crist, who was once governor himself as a Republican. New York also holds primaries today. In baseball, the Yankees beat the Mets 4-2. The A's lost. In NFL preseason, the Jets won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Michael, thank you. It is 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak, and we're very pleased to be joined this morning by Patrick Armstrong, Chief Investment Officer at Plurimi Wealth, as we take a look at this market this morning. Patrick, good to have you with us. As uh, Karen mentioned, we are starting to see futures move a touch higher after two straight days of losses for U.S. stocks uh, coming on to the uh, Jackson Hole Symposium. Have markets uh, fully priced in a hawkish tone from the Fed later on this week? Um, I think they've gotten rid of some of the speculative excesses that was uh, priced in because of everyone was expecting a Fed pivot. Well, I don't know if everyone was expecting it, but <laughs> the market seemed to be pricing in a Fed's pivot to really move to a dovish stance. I don't think we've heard that from any of the rhetoric of the Fed members, voting and non-voting members are all saying at the most dovish, they're data dependent and the hawkish ones are calling for 75 basis point hike at the next meeting. So it would be really surprising if we do get anything dovish out of Powell. I think he's going to keep his options open. Um, I don't know if the market's pricing in something hawkish from him, but I think it's removed some of the excesses about the dovish pivot that's probably not going to happen. You think he's going to keep his options open? It sounds like you're not expecting uh, any further clarity from Chairman Powell later on this week. Is that what I'm hearing from you? I don't think he can give clarity because uh, you've got another inflation print. You've got uh, another jobs number coming out before Feb- or September 21st when they'll be making their next interest rate decision. So he's got to... Uh, Keep his options open because if you have a shocking number on the downside or a really strong number like last time on the jobs, that's going to change his thinking. So he can't put himself into a corner, I don't think, this Friday. Now, what do you think the market reaction will be if that case holds, if uh, Chairman Powell does keep his options open and uh, potentially give investors uh, kind of room to decide where they're going to go? Yeah, well, that's the way I think he'll do it. And I think investors have their natural bias on what they think is going to be happening in the coming months. If you are got a positive predisposition on where the, the economy is going, you'll probably be wanting to buy risk. I don't see any strong economic numbers coming out of Europe, but uh, the U.S. does look much more resilient than Europe. Um, the job market is still very strong. Half of companies are still saying they're having trouble filling job openings. So you can see scenarios where the U.S., avoids a recession, whereas the economic numbers, PMIs that are coming out in Europe are showing Europe's already mired in a recession. Does that mean that you think that uh, stocks have further room to rally at this point? Have we seen the bottom from June? I'm not sure. I would 
if you push me on it, I'll say yes. I think that's about the low we get to, but I wouldn't be surprised if we touch that again um, and retest the June lows. I do think there's pretty compelling value out there in some sectors. I would be buying uh, natural gas producing stocks today. Oil and gas altogether makes sense, but if you can buy the stocks that are producing natural gas right now, they're incredibly cheap, putting out massive cash flow. And they give you a bit of a hedge against uh, some of the stagflationary aspects that uh, you see a big manufacturing slowdown because of energy prices. So that's where I'd be buying. Um, I do think the most expensive stocks are going to see continued downside. So the real innovation stocks that were priced for massive profit growth eventually that aren't generating any profits right now, I think as quantitative tightening really does begin in earnest in September, those kind of stocks probably will make new lows. Looking to take a more defensive stance, I think, what is what I'm hearing from you. Does that have you looking more at small cap versus large cap? I'm not really. I just think energy is the place to be putting ca- um, capital right now because uh, incredibly cheap, massive cash flow generation, and it does give you a hedge against the worst uh, aspects that come from the stagflation. And uh, if you've got manufacturing exposure, if you have cyclical exposure, it's going to be the high energy prices that really choke those earnings off. So I think uh, adding those stocks while they're so cheap right now make good sense to me. So not small cap. Uh, that sector is really sticking out to me, though. The last 30 seconds here, Patrick. What about Treasury yields? Where do you see them going off the back of Jackson Hole? So I think they'll probably grind higher by year end, looking like 3.3 to 3.5 probably at most, because the U.S. economy is stronger than Europe, but it is slowing. Um, quantitative tightening is going to push up yields, and inflation is going to remain persistent. So I don't think... Um, Powell does get hawkish enough to really choke down inflation expectations. So I think it'll be a slow, steady grind higher in 10-year yields. Really appreciate this, Patrick. Again, great having you on with us this morning. Patrick Armstrong, Chief Investment Officer at Polrimi Wealth. And a reminder to stay with Bloomberg Radio throughout Jackson Hole. Our coverage begins with Bloomberg Surveillance on Thursday ahead of Chairman Powell's speech, 10 a.m. Wall Street time on Friday. We will have it fully covered for you here on Bloomberg Radio. S&P futures right now up six points. Dow futures up 51. NASDAQ futures higher by 20 points. And the 10-year little change right now, the yield 3.01%. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, mix of sun and clouds today, maybe some afternoon showers and thunderstorms, 85 for an afternoon high. We'll be in the upper 80s tomorrow with sunshine, high near 90 on Thursday. Right now, 72 degrees. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Well, stocks are coming off their worst one-day drop in two months. The S&P 500 index fell 2.1%. UBS Managing Director Ali McCartney says with increased volatility, investors need to be mindful of stock picks. Over the last number of years, you've really been rewarded no matter what type of equity you have. The concept of security selection and active management is really something we're leaning into. 
Ellie McCartney with UBS says rising rates and inflation will create uncertainty in equity markets. Well, the sell-off spilled into Asia, Karen, with stocks in Japan and Hong Kong both falling around 1%. The global drop comes as investors await the Federal Reserve's annual Jackson Hole Economic Symposium later this week, where Chair Jay Powell will speak. Stanford University President John Taylor says the Fed should not cut rates again. If we let inflation build up over time, like in the 70s, it was seven years of higher inflation. If we nip it in the bud, then you don't don't have to have these negative effects. Stanford economics professor John Taylor thinks the Fed should aim to raise rates to 5%. Stick with Bloomberg for coverage of the Jackson Hole Symposium. Bloomberg surveillance will be there beginning Thursday. To politics now, Nathan. It's primary day in New York, Florida, and a runoff in Oklahoma. Longtime House Democratic colleagues Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler are competing for the same seat in New York. In the 19th District, Democrat Pat Ryan is running against Republican Mark Molinaro. In Florida, Republican incumbent Senator Marco Rubio will likely face Democratic Representative Val Demings in November. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis will face either former Governor Charlie Crist or Nikki Freed. And this morning, Karen, we're getting more evidence of the toll the pandemic has taken on our lives. Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with that story. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. The CDC says life expectancy in New York State dropped by three years in 2020, the biggest decline among all states during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. New York State residents are expected to live to just under 78 years old, the 15th highest life expectancy in the U.S. In 2019, New York had the third highest ranking. The CDC said last year, overall U.S. life expectancy plunged by 1.8 years in 2020, the biggest drop since World War II. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Hi, Renita. Thank you. Futures this morning are higher. S&P futures up about six points. Dow futures up 47 and NASDAQ futures up about 19. And the 10-year Treasury little change yield 3.01%. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street, 73 degrees in Central Park. We have a service suspension on the New Jersey Transit Morris Essex line. We'll get to the details in traffic. First, Michael Barr with what else is going on in New York and around the world. Michael? Thank you very much, Nathan. More busloads of migrants arrived in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams estimates over the weekend about 2,800 asylum seekers from Central and South America have arrived from Texas. Adams says it's an obligation for the city to do what they can to provide a roof over the heads of these families. Right to shelter, whoever comes to this city, if it's day one, we are legally and morally responsible for giving them housing. Adams criticized Republican Texas Governor Abbott, saying he's not coordinating with the city. With schools set to resume in the country's largest school district in a number of weeks, New York Governor Kathy Hochul says the state's new COVID regulations for this school year have changed. Hochul says schools will ease up on several safety plans, including relaxing quarantine protocols for class and no longer enforcing the test to stay program. So no more test to stay. What that means, if a classmate tests positive for COVID and your child doesn't have symptoms, your child can stay in school as long as they would wear a mask under those circumstances. That's what we're recommending. 
Governor Hochul promises monkeypox vaccines and treatment remains a priority in the state. About 71% of U.S. adults think gun violence is increasing nationwide and want to see gun laws made stricter. That's according to a poll from the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy and the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. The dangerous flood conditions gripping parts of the southwest and Texas are now shifting to Louisiana and Mississippi. The storms already dumped historic amounts of rain in Arizona and North Texas. Mayor Rachel Moreno of Winona, Texas, is thanking volunteers lending a hand. Thank you for everybody that's coming in, helping us, um, assessing our area, and helping us try to get um, things cleaned up. In East Dallas, more than 15 inches of rain flooded streets and homes. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thank you, Michael. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stanshower. Thanks, Nathan. The Mets have a better record than the Yankees. They have been the far better team the past month or so. But the Yanks did beat the Mets 4-2 in the Subway Series in the Bronx. And Atlanta won in Pittsburgh. So while the Yankees, despite their recent struggles, still have an eight-game lead in their division, Mets are only three up on the Braves. Yankee heroes last night, including Domingo Herman, pitched into the seventh inning, gave up only one earned run. Solid relief work after him by Ron Marinaccio and Jonathan Loisaga. Andrew Benintendi with a pair of run scoring hits and home run number 47 for Aaron Judge, who hopes the Yankee slump is over. You could just feel a little different energy in the, in the dugout, you know, even throughout the at-bats. You know, guys, just like I said earlier, guys, one through nine, working the count, um, you know, doing everything they can to... You know, wait it out until you got to pitch your drive. And, you know, when you do that against one of the best in the game, you're usually going to get good results. And one of the best in the game is Max Scherzer. Yanks beat him, and they don't have to face Jacob DeGrom. The Mets are instead going with Taiwan Walker tonight, giving DeGrom some extra rest. Frankie Montas on the mound for the Yanks. As with all preseason games, reserves on the field at the end, but the Jets' reserves engineered a big comeback from 16 down. They beat the Falcons 24-16. to So the Jets win at MetLife. The night after the Giants won there, their game included a knee injury to rookie Kayvon Thibodeau that at first appeared to be serious, then not so much. But word yesterday, it is a sprained MCL, and Thibodeau will likely miss the start of the regular season. A new team has emerged in the Kevin Durant trade talks, the Memphis Grizzlies, who have young players and multiple draft picks to offer to the Nets. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? John, thanks. 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Denise Pellegrini. Goldman Sachs is facing a trial date early next June in a long-simmering gender bias case. It's been 12 years since this closely watched case was filed, 17 since the lead plaintiff first complained to the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. The annual August scramble for New York City apartments is on Street Easy says to escape those sky-high rents would-be tenants are broadening searches to far-flung places like South and East Brooklyn and Central Queens. If you're a working woman, you might be best off in Connecticut. Wallet Hub says the state has the lowest gender pay gap in the U.S., women earning just 3% less than men. In New Jersey, the 19th Weed Store has launched in Montclair. Ascend Montclair is up and running. And New York-based MoviePass is coming back. The nationwide subscription startup is relaunching on Labor Day with tiered pricing for month-long subscriptions for movie theaters. The wait list for the beta subscription opens Thursday. And that's the Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Denise Pellegrini. Okay, Denise, thank you. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. 
Steve Potus, and on 1010 Wins in New York, we're talking about cosmetics giant Revlon telling a bankruptcy court judge its stock may be worthless. I'm Joan Doniger telling KFAB listeners in Omaha the corn crop in Nebraska is so dry, plants aren't producing ears of grain. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm reporting that 20 local restaurants have been denied appeals in trying to get their insurance policies to cover pandemic-related losses. I'm Stephen Carroll on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been reporting on the latest PMI surveys showing output contracting in the Eurozone in August. Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. Ukraine's president wants Western countries to ban Russian travelers in hopes of boosting pressure against President Vladimir Putin. Such measures may seem appealing in light of Putin's invasion, but a blanket travel ban would be the wrong response. The European Union has better and fairer tools. For example, it could focus on ending undue visa privileges for Russia's oligarchs and offer humanitarian visas to help opponents of the regime. It should also encourage a brain drain of students and scientists, which would help erode Putin's ability to sustain his brutal invasion and repression. Such measures will be more complicated and perhaps less satisfying than simply rejecting Russian entrance wholesale. But they'd be better for Europe and, crucially, far more likely to hit Putin where it hurts. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or O-P-I-N-Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. And you can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at O-P-I-N-Go. S&P futures up four points right now. Dow futures up 41. NASDAQ futures up 13 points. That's a gain of a tenth percent across the board. Ten-year Treasury, little change. The yield, 3.01%. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 1130 weather mix of sun and clouds. Maybe some afternoon showers and thunderstorms today going up to near 85 degrees. Upper 80s sunshine tomorrow. Sunny and near 90 on Thursday. Right now, 73 and cloudy in Central Park. Headlines and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are edging higher this morning ahead of the Jackson Hole Central Banker Symposium later this week and the morning after U.S. stocks plunged the most in two months. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up about nine points. Dow futures up 69 and Nasdaq futures up 30. The DAX in Germany is up a quarter percent. The 10-year Treasury, little change, yield 3.01 percent. Yield on the two-year, 3.32 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up one Point eight percent up a dollar sixty six at ninety two dollars one cent a barrel. Comex gold up two tenths percent or three dollars at seventeen fifty one forty an ounce. The euro is point nine nine two two against the dollar. British pound one point one seven six seven and the yen at one thirty seven point three nine. Bitcoin this morning up one point four percent at twenty one thousand four hundred dollars. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. 
Karen, thank you very much. Key primary elections are in three states today. We'll have more on those coming up shortly. Lawyers for former President Trump have asked a federal judge to prevent the FBI from continuing to review documents recovered from his Florida estate until a neutral special master can be appointed. It comes as the New York Times reports more than 300 classified documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. In baseball, the Yankees beat the Mets 4-2. The A's lost. In NFL preseason, the Jets one global news 24 hours a day on air and on bloomberg quick take powered by more than 2700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries i'm michael barr and this is bloomberg nathan okay michael thank you we're coming up to 549 on wall street live from the bloomberg interactive broker studios this is bloomberg daybreak and yet let's get more on this primary day with joe matthew our bloomberg washington correspondent host of sound on here on bloomberg radio joe great to have you with us on primary day in new mm-hmm. york and florida and, of course, redistricting has made a couple of races in New York particularly interesting because after today, at least one longtime member of Congress is going to be a lame duck. At least one. Uh, we're yeah. watching this Nadler-Maloney race. Think of it as Upper East Side versus Upper West Side. Two uh, senior committee chairs. These are long-term members of the Democratic Party in the U.S. House running against each other. This is what happens when maps are redrawn, and I'm not sure they would have planned it this way, but here we are with Jerry Nadler, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, Upper West Side, considered the front-runner here, uh, having been endorsed by the New York Times and by Senator Chuck Schumer. At least that's what the most recent polling data has suggested. Representative Carolyn Maloney, the uh, the chair of the Oversight Committee, Upper East Side uh, has really turned this into an interesting contest here as Maloney tries to make the case for having a woman in this seat and to be acknowledged for the role that she has played. Interesting that uh, we're seeing uh, Congressman Nadler potentially as the front runner here. Uh, you might wonder whether uh, having two longtime members of Congress competing against each other might give the uh, challenger, uh, Siraj Patel, room to sort of uh, swim through the middle and uh, make his way up there. I guess anything is possible. Uh, the polls have not suggested that's going to be the outcome. But, of course, we've woken up on a lot of Wednesday mornings uh, with a surprise this primary season. Uh, but yes, there's, there is a third candidate here without the sort of party backing that the other two enjoy, and certainly Nadler with uh, Chuck Schumer behind him here. Uh, but you mentioned uh, this is not the only possible uh, incumbent that could be in trouble here. Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, this is in the 17th District of New York. This is, you know, not just a, an incumbent, but he leads the House Democratic Campaign Committee. He's backed by Nancy Pelosi. And it's turned into a little bit of a proxy here. State Senator Alessandra Biagi is backed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So it's kind of a progressive versus uh, establishment race here as uh, Sean Patrick Maloney fights to keep his career alive. Are we seeing any other races uh, coming out here, Joe, where we could see more of that potential divide between the, the sort of a mainline traditional Democratic Party and that progressive wing that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez embodies? Well, I, you know, in, in terms of the, the races in New York, I, I think that the, the special election that's happening in the 19th District, and this is bizarre, this is Hudson Valley, the, you know, the, the winner of this will only have the seat for a couple of months because of the redistricting you mentioned. That district will be dismantled at the end of the year. It opened up when Anthony Delgado became lieutenant governor. So you've got a Democrat here, Pat Ryan, and I'm not going to suggest that this is a progressive versus establishment race, but Pat Ryan has really made this as a Democrat 
uh, an issue of uh, abortion rights where the Republican here, Mark Molinaro, uh, also a county executive, has really taken the establishment Republican line on inflation uh, to the voters here. So this is a bit of a proxy for the general election. Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by one and a half percentage points in that district, but it is thought to be leaning Republican here, and the polls do not really establish a front runner. So there are a lot of questions about where this is going to go. Uh, if If Democrats can keep the seat, it will be meaningful. If Republicans can flip the seat, then they might say, look, this is an indicator of where we're going uh, here in November with our chances to take the House. So that's one that we're watching closely that might not get as much attention. What are you watching in Florida, Joe? Well, Florida's interesting. You know, look, we're the, the battle between Charlie Crist and Nikki Freed to, to find out who's going to run against Ron DeSantis is a little bit of uh, an exercise, I, I won't say in futility, but very few expect hmm. the Ron DeSantis to be in trouble here as the two Democrats try to duke it out. We're also wondering, is Marco Rubio in trouble? That's not something that's been part of the, the, the sort of electoral narrative here, but Representative Val Demings, uh, the front runner, uh, here to run against Marco Rubio has raised $48 million, oh, which wow. is remarkable in what is a four-way primary here. Questions about what Marco Rubio might be facing in November. And of course, uh, in the lead up to the primary in Florida, the big political story in Florida has been the FBI search of former President Donald Trump's home That's at Mar-a-Lago. We've had a lot of developments there, and I wonder whether that uh, that search is going to be part of what plays out in these primary races today. It's hard to say uh, when you know Ron DeSantis has actually you know he's un- running unopposed here. So it's really Democrats who are going to be choosing, you know, who's going to face Ron DeSantis in the fall, who's going to face Marco Rubio in the fall. I will note that Ron DeSantis has been on a national fundraising tour. He was in Pennsylvania on Friday to stump for the Republican candidate for governor there. He was in Ohio to stump for J.D. Vance running for Senate as he brings his message to a national audience and raises a lot of money, more than Donald Trump has at this point of the year. A lot of folks are wondering if this, of course, has everything to do with 2024 and uh, we're wondering whether the uh, trump bump from the mar-a-lago mm-hmm. search is going to hold but we'll leave that That's for right. the next conversation next hour joe matthew with us this morning on bloomberg daybreak we're gonna have a lot more with joe on sound on for sure this evening every weekday 5 p.m wall street time here on bloomberg radio karen all right, Nathan, thank you. It is 6.54 on Wall Street, and now a legal story we're watching this morning. The Supreme Court will take up 303 Creative versus Alenis in its upcoming term, a case that pits a Colorado state anti-discrimination law meant to protect same-sex couples against free speech rights. The case, which is similar to a 2018 dispute involving a bakery, is about a web designer who says she can't create wedding websites for same-sex couples because of her religious beliefs. For more, Bloomberg's Kimberly Robinson and Lydia Wheeler spoke with former federal judge Michael McConnell. As I mentioned, this case is very similar to Masterpiece Cake Shop, which the justices decided in 2018, but it differs in one really important way, and that's that this dispute is framed as one about free speech instead of religious liberty. What, if any, difference is that going to make this time around? Well, I think it greatly simplifies and narrows the case because a free exercise claim might be brought by anyone uh, whose beliefs uh, prevent them working with uh, a same-sex wedding. This, as a speech case, this is combined just to people whose activities are expressive in nature. People are actually speaking. So it's a much narrower case. 
This didn't start out as just a free speech case, though. In the beginning, the web designer asked the justices to consider whether the state's anti-discrimination law violated her religious freedom. Um, but the justices actually changed the question they were asked to decide um, and honed in exclusively on this speech right. So I'm curious, how often do you see the court do something like that where they rewrite the question? And what does that signal? So it doesn't happen very often. I mean, this is not a unicorn. It happens from time to time. But this is somewhat unusual, and it indicates that the court really wants to focus in on the speech claim, which, as I say, is narrower uh, and, and not the broader free exercise claim. Hmm. So we've seen the Roberts Court under Chief Justice John Roberts issue ruling after ruling that are pretty protective of religious rights, particularly the right to freely exercise uh, your religion. And that was so just this last term in cases involving educational funding and school prayer. I'm wondering, does the court's reframing of this case as one involving only speech signal that the court is kind of shifting away from robustly protecting religious rights? Have we reached kind of the high watermark there? I don't think so. I don't think it indicates anything of the sort. It indicates that the facts of this case seem to map more clearly onto free speech doctrine uh, than anything else. And as former federal judge Michael McConnell speaking with Bloomberg's Kimberly Robinson and Lydia Wheeler. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BLaw Go. Futures this morning on the rise. S&P futures up 11 points. Dow futures up 87 and NASDAQ futures up 41. Ten-year Treasury, little change, yield 3.01%. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. This is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.